Repentance prepares the way of the Lord. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yes, it's true. Repentance prepares the way for the coming of the Lord. If you want to see real revival, if you want to see real visitation, if you want to see real awakening, there will be repentance. And as one revival leader said several generations ago, that the depth of any revival will be determined by the spirit of repentance that is obtained. This is Michael Brown. This is The Line of Fire. And we're going to talk about that today, talk about where America stands, talk about the the type of preaching we're going to have to get used to as God goes deeper, digs deeper, uncovers sin, not to condemn us, but to bring us to a place of repentance and transformation. Phone lines open, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. What does repent even mean? What does repentance preaching sound like, feel like? What are the results that come out of it? Why is this message so urgent? Before we get into Scripture, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture together today. Before we get into that, let me tell you something very interesting. Many of you know that our ministry emphasizes three R's, revival, revolution, redemption, meaning revival in the church, gospel-based moral and cultural revolution in society, and redemption in Israel, seeing the Jewish people saved. These are burdens that I've carried for many, many years, and especially the first R and the last R, Revival in the Church, Redemption in Israel, for decades. Redemption is going right back to, to first being saved, and that Revival Fire has been something with me all these years, and then God began to burden me 20-something years ago about the culture as a whole. So these three R's are very dear to us. But we began asking questions as folks connected with our ministry and we're getting our, our emails and materials from us, we began to ask, which of the three R's did, did you connect with? Which was the one that drew us, drew you to the ministry most? So my guess would have been the second or third R. My guess would have been, some of you write and thank us for, for speaking out on cultural issues, for giving a kingdom perspective on politics and the world around us, and we, we get thanked day and night. We appreciate it so much. We get thanked day and night for addressing these issues and speaking about the culture wars from a biblical perspective. And again, day and night, we're thanked for being a voice there. So I would have thought, yeah, that or seeing the Jewish people saved because people pray for Israel, know with me as a Jewish apologist, the importance of that calling. And I would think the second or third R, overwhelmingly, it's been the first star, revival. That is the, the number one reason that people connect with us, and then the second two are just about equal. So I found that very interesting, and it's another reminder to me of the great burden that I carry to see the church restored to its first love. The great burden that I carry as someone who's been a, rele- a leader in revival movements and has preached over the decades around the world as a revivalist, in other words, seeking to wake up the sleeping church and, and, and bring us into a fresh encounter with the living God and a real repentance that'll produce holiness and dedication and devotion. And with that outpouring of grace and love and joy and the presence of the spirit and freedom, 
it blesses me to know that, that many have your hearts beating along with me for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. I have a book coming out in September called Revival or We Die, and that's always that desperate situation you find yourself in there. There has to be a visitation in the culture. There has to be a renewal. It's going to begin in the church. The church goes through these cycles, and backsliding sets in, and we need to be renewed. Ideally, we just burn red hot always until Jesus returns, and yet there are these ups and downs. Look at what God said through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, famous words that you know from the gospel accounts, speaking of John the Immerser, John the Baptist. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now notice this. This is a word of comfort. Speak kindly to the heart of Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, for she has received from Adonai's hand, from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. So the children of Israel, the Jewish people in Babylonian captivity, represented by Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, back in their homeland, they're being told, time of comfort, you've paid for your sins in exile, you've done the time for your crime, spiritually speaking, now it's time for return. And look at the message. A voice cries out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will be a plain and the rugged terrain smooth. The glory of Adonai, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, when this is applied in the New Testament, how is it applied? It's applied to John preaching repentance in the wilderness. And we'll look at those verses in a moment. But I want to take you back to a sermon from my friend Steve Hill, now enjoying the presence of the Lord in heaven. Steve Hill preaching about having clean hands. And as he's preaching, for those listening on radio or podcast, at one point he, he goes over to a a little bowl he has on the platform which is filled with like water and mud and sticks his hands in it and he's walking around singing praises to God with, with these filthy hands. But this is the type of preaching, literally, we heard night in, night out, year in, year out. Picture coming from around the world, arriving there in Pensacola, standing on line 12 hours to get a seat in the main sanctuary, getting on line at 6 in the morning for the doors to open at 6 p.m. for the service to start at 7 p.m. and then extended worship, the Holy Spirit moving, maybe powerful testimonies. But then you're going to hear a message like this virtually every single night. Listen to Steve preach. Have your hands been holding pornographic movies or magazines? Have your hands been pulling the arm of a slot machine? Have your hands been caressing someone else's wife? Have your hands been committing robbery? Have your hands been holding a pen and writing bad checks? I'm asking you tonight, where have your hands been? When I tell you, friends, this is what I see in Christendom. I see people worshiping God. They'll stand at the Brownsville Revival and they'll say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Worthy 
is the Lamb of God. Holy is the Lord. I worship you. I worship you. He's got fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand. Yes, Lord, I'll ride with you. I will ride. Look at this, friend. It stinks. Where have your hands been? What have they been touching? What kind of evil have you been involved in? Listen up and hold. Maybe no one else knows, but God knows where every finger and every hand has been. God knows what you've been doing, son. God saw you caressing that girl in the back seat of the car. He knows where your hands have been. And I want to tell you, it's the epitome of hypocrisy to have your hands one day reading the Bible and the next day fondling some girl in a car. Or imagine your hands are worshiping God one day. You get home from the revival. You go back to your home. You open up the refrigerator. You grab a bottle of wine. You chug it down. Friend, think about that. One minute, you're worshiping God. The next minute, your hands are filthy. It doesn't work like this, friend. Won't you hear me? It doesn't work like this. If you want to make it to heaven, you're going to have to have clean hands. Mm. Preaching like that, week in, week out, basically bringing it down. To, to how you live. You're going to say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm committing sexual sin willfully. I'm getting drunk willfully and I'm playing around willfully. No, it doesn't work like that. There must be repentance and the blood of Jesus cleanses us, changes us, and washes us. It's a free and glorious gift. But you get in an environment like that, suddenly conviction is there. Suddenly you're, you're feeling uncomfortable. Suddenly you're, you're recognizing that something is, is deeply wrong and, and that's what happens. God, by his spirit, draws near. Things that you were very casual about, no big deal. We just get used to it. Everybody else does it. Let's not be extreme. Let's not be religious fanatics. I'm not going to get caught up in legalism. We have all of our reasons that we get caught in habitual sin and even justify it. And then you come in an environment where the Holy Spirit's moving. It could just be in the privacy of your own home. It, it could be driving your car, listening to radio one day, just maybe it's happening right now, that, that message from Steve just pierced your heart. Could be when you're visiting a place where God's really moving and suddenly you are undone. Suddenly your eyes are opened and suddenly you see the depth of your guilt before God and the depth of his grace towards you and the depth of his commitment to set you free and you go running to him, repenting things you you are hiding for years suddenly you're confessing openly and you're free and you're changed and you can't even recognize yourself you feel so clean let me show you a headline look at this recent gallup poll you, you want to see some shocking news here in america according to a recent gallup poll u.s church membership falls below majority for the first time yeah, look at what this, this article says. Recent Gallup poll, talking about trends here in the Church of America, American membership in houses of worship continued to decline last year, dropping below 50% for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trend. In 2020, 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque, down from 50% in 2018 and 70% 
1999. U.S. church membership was 73% when Gallup first measured it in 1937 and remained near 70% for the next six decades before beginning a steady decline around the turn of the 20th century. And now it's less than half of Americans have church membership. This is another indication that backsliding has set in and has set in rapidly. And I know that some of those that had church memberships weren't saved in the first place, but plenty have gone cold. Time for a fresh wave of repentance. We're going to open up the scriptures. Got a powerful clip from Leonard Ravenhill we'll play for you, and I'm going to take your calls. 866-34-TRUTH. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I will uh, start getting to your calls in a few minutes, but first, let's go through Scripture together about how repentance repairs the way of the Lord. 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. The picture we saw in Isaiah was the crooked places made straight, the, the rocky places smoothed out. The, the, the low places filled in. In other words, here's a graphic physical picture of preparing a way for God to come through the wilderness or God to come through the desert or bring the exiles back. So there's, there's a plain road. It, it, would, it would be like this, that you have a guest room in your home. You just throw a lot of junk in there because it's never needed. And, and you know, it's just, it's messy. And then you get a call that, a relative is coming and can they stay with you? And they're coming in two days, like clear out the guest room. Everybody scrambles. Or if you've ever sold your house and you know, maybe had a bunch of people over for a special event and the realtor calls, we've got a, we think we've got the right buyer. They want to come first thing tomorrow morning. It's like first thing tomorrow morning. Are you kidding me? Everybody start cleaning, prepare, prepare. This is what happens. God wants to visit. So John the Immersive comes. Let's look Matthew, the third chapter. Matthew chapter 3, and what is, what is his message? He's a voice of one crying in the wilderness, and what does he say? Verse 2, repent, turn away from your sins, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And, and he says his baptism is the baptism of repentance. In verse 8, he says, produce fruit worthy of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, the Messiah is about to be revealed. You must turn from sin. God is ready to visit. God's going to stay at your house, so to say, get the room ready. So when God's ready to come and meet his people and, and, and visit us, you've got to turn from sin. So John's repentance preaching prepares the nation for the coming of the Messiah. Okay, now, Matthew chapter 4. What happens here? Matthew, the fourth chapter, John is arrested, and Jesus is now preaching. And what's his message? Matthew four seventeen. Jesus begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, the TLV says, turn away from your sins. The Greek is is simply repent. But the the Greek word used for repentance does not simply mean a change of mind. It is a change of mind and heart and life. It is about face. It is a turning away from sin and disobedience and a turning to God. If it's just 
change your mind. That's how some hyper-grace teachers and others teach it. Change your mind about sin. No, that's, number one, it's not what the Greek means in the New Testament. Check all the major lexicons on it where the scholars just telling you what the Greek says. Look at the Hebrew usage first in terms of the call to repent, turn from sin, turn to God throughout the Hebrew Bible. This does mean, as the TLV says, turn away from your sins, but the Greek, repent. The exact same message as John. The kingdom of heaven is near. The Messiah is here. He's bringing the kingdom with him. So clear the way. All right, now, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends his disciples out. So look at this. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. That was their message. John preached it. Jesus preached it. It's been said that repent is the first word of the gospel. John preached it. Jesus preached it. Now the disciples preach it. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent, and they were driving out many demons and anointing with oil, many who were sick, and healing them. Okay. Now, moving away from Mark 6, we know that elsewhere, Luke 15, the parable of the lost coin, excuse me, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, the lesson is there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, and we see from the prodigal someone it means to repent, recognizing the sinfulness of his ways, turning back to his father for mercy. It's a picture of repentance. We know that Jesus said that, that he came for sinners to repent. That was his mission. And now, after his resurrection, Luke chapter 24, the Great Commission. Look at, look at the Great Commission here. He opens their minds, the disciples' minds, to understand the Scriptures. And, verse 47, so, so this is what's written. The Messiah is to suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. In verse 47, and that repentance for the removal of sins or repentance for remission of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's the Great Commission. Preach repentance, repentance and forgiveness of sins beginning in Jerusalem. So now we get to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38, after Peter preaches and the people say, what should we do? Acts 2, 38, repent and let each of you be immersed in the name of Messiah Jesus for the removal of your sins or the remission of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what's the message there in Acts 2.38? Repent. This is, you say, what about believe? Belief and repentance are two sides of the same coin. One requires the other. To, to believe, you need to turn to God. To repent, you need to believe in God. They are two sides of the same coin. All right, now Acts, the third chapter. Peter's preaching after the healing of the lame man. What's his message? Verse 19, repent, therefore, and return. Turn back to God so your sins may be blotted out. Are, are, you, are you seeing the pattern here? Over and over. Acts, the fifth chapter. After the disciples have been called to account by the, the leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious, religious leaders, Acts chapter 5. What happens there? And Acts 5, Peter preaches in verse 31, this one God exalted as his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and removal of sins. The exact same words from Luke 24. This is why Jesus came. You can't preach the gospel without preaching repentance. Well, Acts 16 just says believe. Well, Acts 2 just says repent. And all these other passages just say repent. Two sides of the same coin. When someone is shaking for fear of their lives, like the jailer and his family in Acts 16, what do we do? Believe in the Lord Jesus. In other words, I need to be saved from my sin. What do I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus. That, that's repentance right there. I want to be saved from my sin. I, don't want to, I, I want mercy from God. What do I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Repentance and faith 
two sides of the same coin. Here, when the Gentiles hear Peter preach in Acts the 10th chapter, and now Peter is describing it in Acts the 11th chapter, what does he say? He explains how the Gentiles came to faith, and when the other disciples heard this, verse 18, they became quiet, and they glorified God, saying, then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance leading to life. God has granted what? Repentance leading to life. That's how they describe people being born again. You might say, well, you haven't quoted Paul yet. You haven't quoted Paul's words in the New Testament. Okay. Acts 16, he tells the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. Again, the jailer fearing for his life and understanding he's guilty. And, and he's, he's had a prisoner who's an apostle of God. What do I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Now listen to more of Paul's message. Acts 17.30, preaching in Athens. Although God overlooked the periods of ignorance, meaning idolatry in the Gentiles, now he commands everyone everywhere to repent. Got that? God commands everyone everywhere to repent. Is that clear? Who? Everyone. Where? Everywhere. Do what? Repent. Again, it is not simply change your, change your thinking. Look, Luke 3, when John preaches repentance, they say, what do we do? All right, if you got two cloaks, give to someone who has none. Don't extort. In other words, it's not just change your thinking. I now decide that I am righteous and consider myself righteous. And No, no, now live righteously. Now live righteously. How, how about Acts chapter 20, where Paul sums up his message? Acts 20, 21. This was the message testifying to both Jewish and Greek people. What? Repentance to God and trust in our Lord Jesus. This was the message he preached everywhere. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus. Turn away from your sin, turn to him, and be saved. And then, in Acts 26, as Paul is speaking to Agrippa and speaking to him about the message that he preached everywhere, how does Paul describe it there? Acts chapter 26, verse 20. Rather, I kept declaring first to those in Damascus and then Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds consistent with that repentance. If there's any possible doubt about what he was saying, that removes the doubt. People should repent, and they should turn to God, and they should perform deeds consistent with that repentance. What does is, what is Hebrews 6 say it is a foundation of the faith? Hebrews 6, 1, Therefore, leaving the basic teachings of the Messiah, let us move on toward maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith in God. Every time the, the words repentance and faith or repent and believe occur in the same verse in the New Testament, repent comes first. Mark 1.15, repent, believe the gospel. Acts 20.21 20, that we just saw, repentance towards God, faith in the Lord Jesus. Now here, Hebrews 6.1, repentance from dead works, dead tradition, dead religion, whatever you want to call it, turning away from that and putting our trust in Jesus. How does, how does Peter describe God's heart? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 what, what does it say? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some consider slowness. Rather, he's being patient toward you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is where it starts. You want to see people genuinely saved? Preach repentance. You want to see people genuinely right with God by the Holy Spirit? Confront sin and unrighteousness and point them to the Savior. Then they'll realize they need to be saved. Then they'll realize that they need mercy. We preach to Jesus, everything's cool with you, cool with him, man. He's just honored to be your friend. Just have him in your life and things will go. That's not the gospel. This is save anyone. 
doesn't change their lives. It doesn't set them free from sin. It just puts a, a false stamp of approval on a carnal life. Look at what Jesus says to the churches in Asia Minor, to the congregations. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. Those whom I love, Jesus speaking, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And then after that, the promise, I'll, I'll sup with you, you with me, we'll have communion. Friends, we've got to recover the lost art of repentance in our own lives and the preaching of repentance. We're, we don't want to hurt people's feelings. and offend. Let's speak the truth back by the power of the Holy Spirit and people will get so set free, so forgiven, so clean, they'll have joy and affirmation beyond anything they have known. Oh, we're just getting started. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So we read in John, the third chapter, one of the most famous passages in John's gospel. We also read there that those who love the truth come into the light, that their deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. In other words, those who want to please God love the light because their hearts are right with him. Those who don't want to please God run from the light. And part of our role as God's people is to be light in the world. And Ephesians 5 says that the light exposes, the light rebukes the darkness. So as we as God's people preach righteousness, preach truth, preach justice, preach the gospel in all of its aspects, it will shine light and people will either run from the light or to the light. Those running to the light to get cleansed, to get washed, will find freedom and renewal. And the Holy Spirit will often deal with deep conviction, making us terribly uncomfortable and then out of that, it leads to a, a wonderful spirit of repentance where we, the thing is burned out from deep within. It's not just superficial, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I promise not to do that again. And you, you do it like 30 times a day, whatever the thing, I'm sorry, I won't do it. And, and day in, day out for years, that's no way to live. That's not God's heart for us to live like that. And there is freedom and understanding the power of his grace. But with the power of his grace, there's deep conviction. Titus 2, God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's God's grace, sometimes the preaching of the love of God, sometimes preaching the goodness of God, the beauty of Jesus, brings a revelation of our sinfulness. And out of that, we come running to the cross for cleansing, for salvation, for transformation. We're talking about how repentance prepares the way of the Lord, how repentance prepares the way for revival. And how the depth of revival is determined, as Frank Barlowman said during the Azusa Street Revival, by the, the depth of the spirit of repentance that is obtained. All right, I'm going to the phones momentarily. I just want to play a clip from, from Leonard Ravenhill. He's, he's been talking about the life of Paul and the way Paul lived. But, but it's, it's vintage Ravenhill. We were, we were very close the last five years of his life and, and, and shared many sacred hours together before the Lord in prayer and fellowship. This is... 
This is who he was always. This is what he carried. Died in 1994 at the age of, of 87. Listen to Brother Len. In America alone right now, we have, I dare to say this before God, I believe we have hundreds of millions of gospel cassettes. And we have millions of gospel books. And we have hundreds of Bible schools. And, and we have hundreds, over the year, we have hundreds of seminars. And we have people memorizing the scriptures. And we have about 5,000 radio stations who every day give some part of the scripture. And yet with all this stuff to feed on, dear God, where are we with all this stuff to feed on? 95% of us are spiritual cripples. Spiritual infants, spiritual babes, children, full of self-pity, self-interest, self-seeking, self-concern, me first. And some people love God because he gives. We've got this wretched prosperity stuff. Paul's very clear, isn't he? Doesn't, doesn't he say, oh, well, writing to Timothy there, that you'll come a day when people think that gain is godliness? Some of God's choicest saints don't have another shirt to change. Peter said in his day that some will make merchandise of you. That couldn't be more true than the day in which we're living. Hmm. Yeah, and he goes on. And friends, he prayed with tears. He prayed with brokenness. He carried that before the Lord in his intimate relationship he had with God. And then when he would preach, I was in meetings where he couldn't finish preaching. People just started running to the altar, crying out, repenting. But by the end of the day, boy, there was liberty. There was freedom, there was cleansing, there was lifestyle change, lasting change. Jesus really sets the captives free. Let's not run from the message of repentance. Let's run to it. If we love Jesus, we want to be clean. And, and, and yes, we're cleansed by his blood, but now he says, now live that out. He sets us apart as holy and says, live that out. And by his power living in us, we can do it. We can do it. Pastors, leaders, don't get harsh. Don't beat people over the head, but out of a burden from God. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. We're in a critical state in America today, and there's no time to play games. No time to worry about hurting feelings. If you truly love God and love people and you're preaching by his spirit, speak the truth. Let those words pierce and then let people encounter God. And out of that encounter, boy, the, the freedom, the celebration. You talk about revival joy. There's nothing like it. I've preached around the world, friends. I preached in almost any setting you can imagine. There is nothing like revival joy when people are getting set free and, and, and liberated and forgiven and, and enjoying the beauty of the Lord. But it comes out of that deep repentance. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the phones. Let's start with Dan in New Brunswick, Canada. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brad. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Good. Listen, I've got, uh, I got two quick questions. Um, I kind of reformulated one of them because it kind of answered it a bit. So I wrote them down. I'm just going to read them as I wrote them. Um, yeah. So number one, you said that repentance is not only changing your mind. I agree with that. Um, but Mormons and JWs, other cults, they repent and, you know, they turn to their false god. Um, but let's let's stick to the repent part uh, rather than turning in faith to their false, false god. They, they really do repent, at least outwardly. So the question is, what makes their repentance false? Not their belief. Uh, we know their beliefs are false. What makes their repentance false, but, uh, you know, compared with a, a, a real believer? So that's question number one. What makes a cult follower's repentance 
false. Is it mm-hmm. false? Why or why not? Question number two, um, this, this one's really, really played in my mind a lot. No Christian has, has repented to the point of never sinning again. So at least I don't, I don't know any. Repentance, as I see it in the Word, it's a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone dies in sin without complete and total sinlessness at the moment of their death, mm-hmm. does that disqualify them from heaven? Pentecostals and Charismatics, of which I am, they often say that it does disqualify, at least in the circles I've been around in Canada. So what, that's the question, what measure, how much repentance do you need in order yeah. to stay saved? So those are the two questions. Yeah, and, and these, are, these are logical questions to ask based on the way things are, are preached. So uh, answer to the first question, the reason that repentance, say, in Judaism, which is a major, major emphasis, one of the foundations of Judaism, tshuva, so it's in, that about face, uh, why isn't that sufficient without faith in Jesus? Or if a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, they change their outward conduct, why is that not sufficient? Simple answer is that it cannot actually change the condition of the heart. It, it must be grace and spirit empowered through the blood of Jesus. In other words, it can change outward conduct, but it cannot give a new heart. That's why it falls short. As I said, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. We're saying, God, save me from my sin. We're, we, we don't have the power to save ourselves. We're saying, God, have mercy on me. We can run to an altar and get on our knees and say, God, save me, cleanse me, wash me. And now it's done by the power of Jesus. So it's not just an outward change of conduct alone, but it's a transformation of the heart. It's a new heart. And it's by putting our faith in God the right way. Look, you can just have an atheist who says, you know, I'm messing up my life. I'm drinking. I'm, I'm, I'm getting high. I'm missing work. My family doesn't respect me. I got to make a change. And they can make a change just by their own moral willpower, but that does not make them right with God. Now, what about how much, look, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So how holy do I have to be? This is where there can be bondage, condemnation, legalism, and then an outward conduct thing where I, I just live by the book, but there's not the heart relationship. So there is the once for all repentance when we're saved. In other words, the moment we are born again, our sins are washed away in God's sight. Maybe I haven't fully implemented it yet. In other words, maybe I've been a thief, and the next month I'm going to have to go back to people I stole from and make restitution or confession or go to the police. Or, or, or maybe I've got you know, all a pornographic stash of DVDs, and when I get home, I've got to dispose of them. In, in my case, it was drugs I had to get rid of. So in point of fact... God washed me clean when I cried out for mercy and said, God, by your grace, I'll never put a needle in my arm again. That, that was the expression of repentance that I knew he was looking for. I was washed clean at that moment. I hadn't gone home and thrown away the drugs yet or done the other things that I was going to do to act on it. But at that moment, God pronounces us righteous. God pronounces us clean. God pronounces us holy. If he was writing a letter to us, it would be to, to St. Dan, to, to St. Mike. To, that, that's, that's how he'd be writing to us at that moment. And now he says, now live that out. And yes, then repentance is an ongoing thing. So relationally, to keep my feet clean as I walk through this dirty world, there is daily repentance. There is daily recognition of guilt. 
or or when something really wrong happens, or you, you lose your temper and you lash out at someone, or you fall back into an old habit, Lord, wash me clean. Lord, I turn away from that. Maybe you're smitten by it. You, you receive that sense of fresh forgiveness. That's relational. That's ongoing. But your, your state of salvation is not determined by that. In, in other words, the notion that if, you know, let's say you used to be a cigarette smoker, and now you fall back one day and smoke cigarettes and get in a car wreck and die at that moment, you go to hell for a cigarette. And you don't go to hell for smoking a cigarette. You don't go to hell because at that moment you were, you were thinking a lustful thought, or at that moment, you know, you, you cut someone off on the road and slammed your horn and cursed them, and then you die in an accident, or, or you forgot to confess a sin at night. You, no, no. You're forgiven by what Jesus did. You have... There, there is, in that sense, the once-for-all repentance, turning to God, receiving forgiveness, and now your, your state is a state of being saved unless you willfully turn from him. You willfully say, I deny Jesus, I refuse his lordship, I reject his grace, I go back to the world. Someone could forfeit their salvation, but otherwise you are not saved in an ongoing way based on what you did or how many hours you prayed you're saved based on God's grace through Jesus, and that has been expressed in your life by a true repentance, a turning from sin, and asking God for mercy and receiving forgiveness. So 1 John 1, 7 even tells us as we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, as God is in the light, that we receive ongoing cleansing. Why? Because even walking in the light, we haven't yet reached total and perfect perfection. So rest in his grace as a believer when you see telltale signs of complacency sin now deal with that seriously for the sake of your relationship with him unless that spread like an unholy cancer in your spirit hey thank you for the questions we'll be right back it's the line of fire with your host activist author international speaker and theologian dr michael brown your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, some folks would say, hey, look, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which means a change of mind, and the verb repent is metanoeo, which again means to change one's mind. The word can mean that in certain cases, the verb, the noun. But as it is used in the New Testament, is is universally recognized in lexicons and, and commentators that that open this this uprightly. They recognize that it is speaking of a moral transformation. That it is not just talking about changing your mind about sin. It's a change of mind and heart and life, especially in a first-century Jewish context. And, and look, when you look at etymology, what a word comes from. Take the word butterfly, right? What does that have to do with butter? But that's, that's the word. So if you didn't know anything, you'd say, butterfly, it must, this, this thing must be a fly that likes butter or it looks like butter. or you know, you're, you, It's easy to read wrong things, and so that's why you have to look at context. When Jesus talks about mourning in, in, in sackcloth and ashes, repenting in sackcloth and ashes, he didn't say change your mind in sackcloth and ashes. It's, it's grieving, it's mourning, and recognize, recognizing what's wrong, turning to God, receiving mercy. 866-34-TRUTH. Repentance prepares the way of the Lord. Uh, Let's go to Patrick in Newport News, Virginia. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. How you doing? 
Doing very well. Thank you, sir. Cool. So first off, I want to say thank you for playing that uh, clip by Steve Hill. It's a great reminder for all of us as believers that we need to live a life that is a, that does have clean hands and a pure heart and not to live a double life as a believer. Yeah. Now, the comment I wanted to make uh, as it pertains to repentance is I think that first and foremost, as a believer, we need to remember that we are the lampstands into a dark world, yeah. meaning that our light should be able to shine so bright that people are impacted by that light and that people want to know the gospel. The problem is that I'm seeing in culture and what we're facing today is we're in danger of losing that impact and that light. And even in Revelation chapter 2, when uh, Jesus was born in the, the church of Ephesus, he said that we've lost our, our first love. And if we don't repent, that lampstand could be removed. And yes, that, 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 big, that figuratively could mean about the church, but that could be also you and your personal life if you're not willing to repent and turn to the righteousness that we once fell in love with, with the right spirit. And so at the end of the day, man, like we really have to make sure that our light is shining in this dark world. And the last point I want to say is that when it comes to, I think there was a previous caller that said something about how do we know where, where we stand as far as repentance, how much we have to repent. What's helped me um, is this verse in First uh, John 3. I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have a Bible to look at right now. But it basically says that no one that is, Born, born again of, of God, does not continue to make the practice of sinning. It, it's not a desire. Where your life was once before was a desire to, to do whatever, whenever, and however, when you come to Christ, you are made known that your life of sin is not the way to heaven, and you have to turn and repent and and live the way that he has called called us to live. Right. And so so, so in, that, in other today. words, yeah, hey, Patrick, thank you for the comments. So in other words— Let's say that that somebody's stronghold in their life before they were saved, they were they were a porn addict and they were really promiscuous, you know, sexually loose, and they get saved and 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 God really sets them free and they 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 begin to live a new life, and they used to they used to love their old life, they used to love their sin and boast about it and think it was cool. Then God began to deal with them. They came under conviction. They got set free. They got born again, walking in grace, walking in forgiveness, overcoming this. And, and then, you know, discouragement, maybe fired from a job and, and weakness sets in and late at night and tempted and, you know, the guy downloads porn, but he feels miserable. You know, after watching for a few minutes, he, he shuts his computer, he gets on his knees, God washed me clean. You know, why? Because he's different. He's not who he used to be. Yeah, he still sinned, but because he's not who he used to be, he, he didn't just walk in it. And if you get stuck in it, okay, I need help. This is not who I am in God. Hey, Patrick, I appreciate the call. And look, what did Jesus say about the salt? That we're the salt of the earth. So part of that means the moral conscience of the society. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? So let me ask you a question. When the world looks at the Church of America today, does it see us as very different? Does it see us as holy? Is pure? Does it see us as having families that are different, having our own lives in order? Now, I don't mean that we're perfect, but we should be different. If we're going to be salt and light, then we have to be different than what's around us, not in a self-righteous way, but just light is different. Light does shine. Salt is salt. It, it does what it does. 
are, are we are we like the world? Does the world look at us and you're no different? Which then makes it even worse because now we're hypocrites because we're preaching one thing and living another. With all my heart, I believe that we have lost a massive amount of our credibility by getting so politicized. I believe that we have lost a massive amount of our credibility by having so many scandals in our midst. I believe we have lost a massive amount of our credibility by not doing much of the good that people expect us to do. Now, thank God for those who are godly examples and godly witnesses and for those living scandal-free and, and, and for those who can say, hey, we're going after it. Our family's going after it. We're not perfect, but, but we're, we're living this out. Thank God for each of you that you've remained steady and been good witnesses and, 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 and churches and pastors whose names we don't know, but you've stood steady in your community for years. And the people in your community know that. God bless you. But in so many ways, we have lost our credibility. We have hurt our witness. Young people in particular dropping out and not respecting us. The good news is that when we really have God's fire renewed in our hearts and minds, people will see it and they'll be drawn to it. Uh, America is absolutely ripe for revival, but the church must repent first and lead the way. All right, uh, let's go to Carrie in Portageville, Missouri. Thanks so much for holding through the broadcast. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown, and I very much respect you. I'm going to start with the end of my question, and I think you've just touched on it. Jesus said in Matthew, these things must be. I, I want you to think about, these are the things that make me, uh, basis of my question. The Great Reset that's supposed to be here by 2030. The um, vaccine passport that's in the news now that would give us a social credit score. I'm currently reading Dr. Erwin Luther's book, We Will Not Be Silent. Yeah. He shows how the rise of Marxism is just imminent. With all these things unfolding right before our eyes, my husband even asked me that it makes you wonder, why are we even resisting? You know, I just listened to a, a, a Facebook message about call your senators about this vaccine passport, you know, vote. Well, why would we even, I mean, if Jesus said these things must be and we see them unfolding before our very eyes, why do we continue to, like you say, lose yes. credibility by warning people? Why would we not just shut up, let them happen, and spend our time focused on just Jesus and preparing and trying to take as many with us? Like when they come to get our guns, why would we not just hand them over? Jesus said these things must be. Right. So I, I love your question. And in fact, I just wrote an article. I think it went up this morning. Checkstream.org. Stream. Org, the church's role in every generation. Stream.org, the church's role in every generation. Here's the thing. Every generation faces a crisis. Every generation has to deal with evil, be it the evil of abortion today, the rise of Marxism, some of these other things you mentioned, or be it segregation in past generations before that, slavery, Every generation has had to deal with evil in the society and encroaching darkness. And in every generation, we are the stop sign that stops things from going off the, the deep end. We are the ones that make the difference by being salt and light. If we simply abdicate our responsibility, everything will collapse. And remember, in every generation, there is this, this sense of Jesus could come. He's right at the door. 
I remember hearing that when I got saved almost 50 years ago, that his appearing was, was any moment or he was going to catch us up any moment, and, and that we had our set of things in that generation. And the counterculture revolution of the 60s looked like the end of the world. This is it. This is the final apostasy and Israel back in the land and the Six-Day War in 1967 and Jerusalem back in Jewish hands. And we thought the prophecies were being fulfilled. So every generation, and I don't say this in, in any way to minimize the urgency of the hour. My book coming out in September, it's called Revival or We Die. But this is our role in every generation to stop the collapse into complete moral anarchy, to stop the society from completely falling apart. This is our role because Jesus is not yet ready to return, otherwise he would have. So that means that we have to keep standing, doing what's right, caring for the poor here. Do we just say, hey, there's always gonna be poor, there's always gonna be starving people, let them be poor, let them starve, which is certainly not what you're saying. Let them be poor, let them starve, and then let's accelerate things. Jesus will come. No, here's how we accelerate things. We accelerate things by living holy lives, 2 Peter 3. We accelerate things by preaching the gospel around the world, Matthew 24, 14. We accelerate things by praying for Israel's salvation and the coming of God's kingdom, Romans 11 and elsewhere. And we stand for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. We stand for what's right. We advocate for justice. We push back against evil. And in every generation, there's a battle. This is our battle. This is our time. And we want to hand a better world over to our kids and grandkids until Jesus returns. And yes, our great, great energy is put on glorifying Jesus, winning people to him, and living as his followers. Repentance prepares the way.